you can turn your pew Bibles to page 950 in the New Testament. We're about to stumble upon a lectionary text that the church has been known to sidestep, hurdle over, and avoid at all costs. But this Lenten season, we are each called to self-examine and to re-examine, to commit and to recommit, to return and to repent, as the one we call Lord and Savior walks straight towards the cross. As it so happens, not infrequently with Jesus, because he was a well-known healer, a teacher, a reformer, a rabbi, folks would come to him with one of the most perplexing and difficult questions of all time, typically about suffering and sin, which is what's happening here this morning. Listen now to the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should we be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's an author named T.C. Boyle, and he has an intriguing short story entitled Chicxulub. Chicxulub is the name of an enormous asteroid, or perhaps a comet, that collided with Earth 65 million years ago on what is now the Yucatan Peninsula, leaving an impact crater 120 miles across and 12 miles deep. And this was a story that was shared by a United Church of Christ pastor named Richard Floyd. Boyd's, Boyle's short story intersperses such episodes of catastrophic natural disasters with a story of one night in the life of just one family. The main characters in the short story were a husband and a wife, and then they were parents of a 17-year-old daughter named Maddie. The parents receive a phone call from a hospital. There's been an accident. Apparently, Maddie had been hit by a drunk driver while walking home from a cineplex. They head to the hospital in a state of shock that overtakes anyone in the midst of a disaster. And at the hospital, they are unable to get much information out of the staff. And they were told she was in surgery. And so they wait, and they wait, and they wait. 
And finally, a doctor comes out and speaks to them, and he drops his eyes, and he says, I'm sorry. But as Reverend Floyd explained, Boyle was toying with his readers. In the end, we learn that Maddie is not dead. The dead girl on the gurney is a 16-year-old friend of hers named Christy, who borrowed Maddie's ID to get into an NC-17 movie in the next theater. Maddie, you see, gets another chance. There are asteroids out there, the author states, and there is no rhyme or reason as to when or where they will strike, and there is nothing really we can do about it. And so this chance of being confronted, confronted by a sudden life-altering shock that creates this dreaded fear in us, that's what leads us to skip texts like this altogether. But the folks that were gathering around Jesus that day, they present Jesus with two very similar stories. The first scenario everybody around town must have heard about, Pontius Pilate was known to be nothing more than a vicious, authoritative bully and tyrant. And we know about those these days. And evidently, Pilate had ordered the murders of a group of Galileans who had traveled to Jerusalem to make sacrifices in the temple. And as they were making those sacrifices, their blood was spilled alongside the sacrificial blood. And if this is how Pilate ruled, why would we expect any better when it comes to Jesus hanging on a cross? You see, those Galileans, they were rural people. They lived closer to the Gentile regions. They were poor. You know, Jesus and the disciples, they were Galileans. Were they less clean? Were they less holy? Were they more sinful? Huh. Then Jesus tells them a second story. It's another tragedy about a fallen tower. It may as well have been two towers. Maybe the 18 people who died were working to repair that tower. Maybe, maybe they were using the baptismal pools nearby the tower. Maybe they weren't paying attention. Maybe they needed those pools of baptism and redemption more than we did. Maybe they were worse offenders than everyone else in Jerusalem. Maybe somehow they brought it upon themselves. There was a blind man near a pool like that. The people asked if it was his sin or his parents' sin that caused this blindness. There's a teenager whose friend group has cut her off for no reason. Or maybe there was a reason. There's a baby... In the NICU, is it the doctors or the mom? Who do we blame? There's a man on the streets who feels a lot of shame this morning. There's a mom who feels invisible and exhausted. There's a young adult that's been diagnosed. Maybe they did something to deserve all of that. But you see, if they're being punished for their sin, then that means that we're going to be judged for ours. And so in this scenario, Jesus does not explain why bad things happen. He doesn't explain why Maddie lives and Christy dies. But he's very clear about one thing. He says, no, no, our suffering is not at the hand of God's judgment. 
Our suffering is not at the hand of God's judgment. No, those other people do not deserve tragedy any more than we do. No, our sins and mistakes are not measured and ranked by God. If that were the case, all of us would be in the ICU this morning and not sitting right here in this bright, beautiful sanctuary. This world is broken and hurting. There is death among us. It is part of the story. Yes, sin leads to death. Yes, violence leads to death. Yes, domination and revenge, they lead to death. And shame and greed, they all lead to death. Certainly God deals with death. But our creator and our sustainer is in the business of life. So often we want Jesus to justify the ways of God. We want easy answers that are impossible and mysterious to give. But Jesus will not tolerate those sorts of questions from us for long. You see, Jesus was interested in people aligning their hearts and their lives with the goodness and the mercy of God. And so instead of answering those questions, Jesus pulls a mirror out of his back pocket and holds it up and says, hey, Unless you repent, you're all going to perish just like they did. Well, that's not great news. Unless you repent, you will all perish. You will be cut off. You will be isolated, empty, barren. I don't know about you guys, but repent, it's kind of one of those churchy words. I don't really know what to do with it all of the time, especially if I'm a rule follower and I try to do the right thing, I mean, repent? Well, in Greek, the word is metanoia. It literally means to change one's mind and heart and soul. It means to shift or to reorient, to transform. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll find that word is shuv. It literally means to turn back. Floyd describes a field of bright yellow sunflowers in France. In French, a sunflower is called tournesol, which literally means to turn towards the sun. You can actually see sunflowers during a single day turning to face the rays of the sun as they go across the sky. They turn to the sun that gives them life by photosynthesis. Well, I think we humans are made to turn towards God, the source of our life just as sunflowers are made to turn towards the sun. God created us to worship and to pray and to serve. That is what Jesus means by all of this. You see, our time on earth, it's not eternal. It's measured. We are born and then we die. And God cares about what happens in between. And this is why he tells the story of the barren fig tree, which is really a story about a gracious grower. Yes, 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 we understand the marketplace, especially here in Charlotte. We know the value of what we produce, but I hate to tell you, we are not the owners of the vineyard. It's not our job or our purpose to judge which trees are cut down and which trees need more cultivating. Yes, we are each gifted with skills and passions, we know how to work hard. We understand the process of tending and nurturing and cultivating. And most of us know a thing or two about shoveling manure. But we are not 
the expert growers in this case. No, instead, we are the verdant fig trees standing in the middle of a vineyard. And you see the grapes, they've already been harvested with patience and care. Our roots have been well attended. There has been sunlight and rain and pruning. There is evidence of tenderness and patience in the green leaves on our branches, but it has been a few years now. And well, there's no fruit. As the Apostle Paul states, and one of our new elders, Roy Koppelman, reminded me this week, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. To this, the owner asks a pretty good question. Why should we be wasting the soil on this tree? Joanna Adams reminds us that fig trees absorb an exceptional amount of nutrients and water. And this particular fig tree was actually putting the entire vineyard at risk. Cut it down, he orders. For what purpose does this tree exist? Our purpose on earth is not to live disordered or self-centered lives. Could God's impatience be an expression of God's love and grace to whom much is given, much is required? Has God not created us to bear fruit while we still can, not for our own benefit, but for God's purpose and for God's glory? What sort of fruit? God has created each of us with a purpose in mind so that we might live for God and not ourselves. And our fruits, they're meant to be shared. But it's been a few years, the owner sighs. Just cut it down. And it is in this moment, this very moment, as the ax swings towards the sky, that the gardener stands in front of the fig tree, right between God, God's judgment and God's tender mercy, and says, no, he advocates, why don't we just give this one a little bit longer? Just let me give it a little more care, a little more fertilizer. There's still time. This little tree can change. It's not too late. You see, I see potential for this fruit bearing. There's something that's ready to bloom in this one. There's kindness to be shared and truths to be told and resources and thoughts and talents that can bless the church and our neighbors. And they're the fruits of the Spirit, joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, generosity. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Don't you know that those fruits can save a marriage? Those fruits can heal a relationship. They can transform a broken heart. Can't you hear the grower in that moment saying, let's just give this one a little more time. I see potential. Here's the good news. With Christ, there is still time. It's never too late to turn towards God. Amen. As we now enter into a time of prayer, I invite you to respond as I say, Lord, in your mercy, with hear our prayer. Let us pray. Eternal God, through Jesus Christ, you promise to hear us when we pray to you in his name. Confident in your love and mercy, we offer our prayers 
on behalf of your world, your people, and all those entrusted in our care. As spring flowers begin to bud, we remember the beauty of creation and our responsibility to care for it. Holy God, give us who consume most of the Earth's resources the will to reorder our lives, that the environment might be protected and natural resources renewed. May all people have their rightful share of food and medical care and shelter. May all your creatures and all creation know our care and respect. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of peace, renew our nation in the ways of justice and peace. Guide those who make and administer our laws to build a society based on trust and respect. Erase prejudices that oppress, free us from crime and violence. Guard our youth from perils of selfish individualism. Motivate all to end our debilitating division. Promote productiveness, respectful debate, and work towards the good of all your people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Sustain those among us, living God, who need your healing. Make the sick whole, give hope to the dying, comfort those who mourn. Uphold all who suffer in body or mind. In this global moment, ravished with war, bless those who work for peace. Heal those who are traumatized by violence. Secure those whose lives and livelihoods are in jeopardy. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O God, in your loving purpose, we ask that you hear the prayers and the hopes that rest silently on our hearts. In all things for which we pray, give us the will to seek, to bring them about for the sake of Jesus our Lord, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, God calls us to a life of generosity. Let us praise the giver of all good gifts through our offerings today.
Grateful and humble hearts, let us now dedicate our gifts to God. Compassionate God, we offer you these gifts as signs of our time and labor. Receive the offerings of our lives and feed us with your grace, that in the midst of death all creation might feast in your unending life. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
place and serve the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you. 